0: If you would, remain standing for the reading of God's Word, turn me to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. I'll begin reading verses 1 through 11. And so, by God's grace, we have arrived to the 8th chapter of Romans. So if this is your first time here, you have picked an amazing Sunday to show up. So, beginning in Romans 8, beginning in verse 1. And so... There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. There is no condemnation for the true Christian. There is no condemnation for the true Christian. Romans 8 is the glorious result of what Paul has taught in the first seven chapters of Romans. That sinners are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. And the result of this truth is Romans 8. James Montgomery Boyce titled his sermons on Romans 8, The Best Chapter in the Bible. The Best Chapter in the Bible. Romans 8 covers all of the Christian's life on earth from the moment of being found in Christ. Chapter 8 is truly, has been called one of the brightest gems in Romans, and I agree. This chapter begins with no condemnation, which if you are a Christian and you understand these words, they are glorious words. No condemnation. And chapter 8 ends with no separation. You not only have no condemnation because you are in Christ, but the end of chapter 8 is no separation. Because of what Christ has done, nothing can take you away from Him. That you belong to Him. That all who have been born again, our born-again life lies in chapter 8. In chapter 8, we find justification, we find sanctification, we find glorification, we find no condemnation, we, we find substitution, we find suffering, we find intercession, we find predestination, the spirit, the flesh, the law, heirs of God, the glory to be revealed, adoption. Your mind, your heart promises to the elect and the love of God that is found in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 8 is also known as the Spirit chapter. It is known as the Spirit chapter. Prior to Romans 8, the Holy Spirit is only used four times in Romans. Just in Romans 8 alone, it's used 20 times. He talks about being born again over and over and over again. And the fact that you are not born again unless you have the Spirit of God in you. It's known as a spirit chapter. That the Lord alone, our triune God, provides salvation. The Father sent the Son. Jesus Christ was the payment. And the Holy Spirit produces life in those who have been called. Romans 8 is truly life In the Spirit. Listen to these words used by Derek Thomas. No chapter of Scripture reaches the same sustained levels or covers the same ground as Romans 8. It is a description of the Christian life from death to life, from justification to glorification, from trial and suffering to the peace and tranquility of the new heaven and the new earth. It contains exhortations to preserve as well as reassurances of God's preservation of his people. And no chapter has been cited more than this one in expounding the application of redemption in the life of an individual, also known as order salutis. In short, Romans 8 gives us a picture of salvation in its completeness. As I talked with other pastor friends this past week concerning words of wisdom in preaching through Romans 8, because I've never preached through it before, I received feedback from two men. Response number one, it is the apex of holy writ in my humble opinion. The apex of holy writ in my humble opinion. Response two, don't mess it up. Out of all the things that you can mess up when you are preaching through something, they said, don't mess this up. And it's right. To say that this chapter is important is a massive, radical understatement. For this chapter needs to be studied, meditated upon, taught, reviewed, and held close, not just by preachers and teachers, but by everyone who says, I am a born-again Christian. It's my personal belief that, That if pastors and parents and teachers would study and apply the theology that they find in Romans chapter 8 to their personal lives first, followed by their homes, and then next by their teaching, that the Lord's church would be healthier, less pragmatic, and we would see far fewer false conversions. So this is my plea to you and to myself, because I hope you understand when I am preaching to you, I am preaching to my own soul, that over the next five or so weeks, however long we're in this chapter, we would read this chapter daily. I'm not asking much. It's just 39 verses. Slow down and think about the words that you find here. Meditate upon the truths. Spend time in prayer. Respond with praise as well as submission to God. Stay in chapter 8 until chapter 8 is joyful for your soul. And this will be my warning too. You will not get everything you need from chapter 8 from a sermon. I'm sorry, Blake and I are not sufficient. If you think you're going to cover everything that you need to know for your life, for godliness, for glorifying the Lord in all things by just coming and just listening to a few sermons on chapter 8, even if you go home and listen to solid men much better than myself that preach through that and you're going to get enough, you're wrong. Use what you hear and dive deeper into God's limitless ocean of grace that you find in chapter 8. View this sermon as just swimming in the shallow side of the pool. And to make it to the deep end, you must meet intimately with the Lord over and over and over and over again. Otherwise, if you just rely on sermons, just get used to having floaties in the shallow end. If you want to be mature, swim out to the deep end and meet with the Lord. Review chapter 8 over and over again. So let's begin. Romans 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This is the greatest of news. Now nothing comes close to this news at all. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Christians and non-Christians alike, they celebrate marriages as we should. The birth of a child, anniversaries, graduations, job promotion. Life goals achieved. Add them all together and you are still found lacking in reaching the greatest news found in Romans 8 verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the one who is in Christ, there is now, that is present tense, no condemnation. So before we can fully grasp the understanding of this verse, we must look to the word condemnation. Now, I'm going to mess this up, and I've worked at it all week long. The word condemnation in the Greek, katakroma. This specific Greek word is used only three times in the New Testament, and it's only in Romans. Romans 5, verse 16. Romans 5, verse 18. And Romans 8, verse 1. So I want to look at these three really fast. So if you flip back a few pages to Romans 5, verse 16. Which by the way, many people if Romans eight's not the greatest chapter, they would say Romans five is. Romans five verse sixteen, and the free gift is not like the result that of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. Two verses later, Romans 5.18, therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. And then Romans 8, verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Condemnation means damnatory sentence. It's the opposite of justification. In Romans 5, the word is used both times as a negative. But here in Romans 8, it's used in the positive sense. The word condemnation here, it places more emphasis on the penalty or the punishment of being guilty versus the actual verdict. That those condemned are worthy of punishment. That there is therefore now no damnatory sentence or damnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I wish I, could, I didn't have to use that word, but I do. There is no punishment for those who are in Christ Jesus because we are declared not guilty because of Christ. There is no debt and there is no penalty. And the no debt and the no penalty is not just for now. The no debt and the no penalty is forever. Forever. It's completely paid for, completely covered. And the declaration of no condemnation is only for those who are in Christ. Only them. If you're not in Christ, you are condemned. It's only for those who are in Christ. Only those in Christ are justified. No one can condemn you because you are in Christ. Paul loves these words, in Christ, and he has used them before. And famous passages that you remember. Romans 3, 23 and 24. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Romans 6, verse 11. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Romans 6, 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is is eternal life in Christ Jesus. So redemption is found only in Christ Jesus. Those who are spiritually alive are in Christ Jesus. And the free gift of eternal life is only in Christ Jesus. So within the pages of God's holy word concerning the doctrine of soteriology or the doctrine of salvation, those who belong to God are those who have been born again And they are the people who are in Christ. Therefore, because of this truth, those not in Christ are outside Christ and condemned. Paul has already instructed us in Romans 5 what this means. He has said, Death reigns in those who are outside of Christ, and death reigns in those who have not been justified. So, those who are not saved are spiritually dead as well as condemned by God. It's not just that they're dead, but they're dead and they are condemned. Spiritually dead souls are under God's damnatory sentence. So, those who are spiritually dead, they need salvation, they need the declaration of not condemned because they are not in Christ. Look at Romans 8, beginning in verse 2. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the spirit. So how do sinners get in right standing with a holy God? Is it by keeping the law? No. Is it by our good works, our personal effort? No. Sinners are placed in right standing with God Oh, I love what he says here. By God. You are placed in right standing with God by God, specifically the Spirit of God. These verses say there is nothing that we can do, that salvation is an alien righteousness. It is outside of us. We cannot earn our salvation. We cannot work for our salvation. We can't perform for our salvation. We cannot reach harder or get better on our own. That God has accomplished what the law could not accomplish. God sent forth His Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. We'll cover both of these. That God's Son condemns sin in the flesh for those who walk according to the Spirit. So we see four truths concerning salvation here in these verses. Truth number one. There is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. That means God's ruling is not guilty. That's great news, but you have to be in Christ. Truth two, the Spirit of God sets you free, for you are unable to free yourself. The Spirit of God sets you free, for you are unable to free yourself. You are free in Christ. Number three, the Son of God alone condemns sin, not you and not your works. The Son of God alone condemns sin, not you and not your works. And truth four, those in Christ Jesus, they walk according to the Spirit. Those set free by God, they will live for God. There are no carnal Christians. If you've been saved by God's grace, God's grace is going to work in you and fulfill His work in you. You're going to mature. You're going to look more like Christ. You're going to bear fruit for God. A tree is known by its fruit. If God has planted salvation in you, you're going to bear fruit for the Lord. I mentioned earlier that all Christians will benefit from studying Romans 8. In my mind, Romans 8 as well as Romans 9 squashes so much pragmatism and false beliefs of a God that does not exist. Only Jesus Christ fulfills the righteous requirement of the law, and this fulfillment is accomplished in the individual's soul by God alone. Salvation is a work of God. If there is anything that we do this morning, it's that we ponder the fact that God has saved us by his grace if we are saved and we praise him for it. The denial of total depravity is always the beginning of pragmatism. Sinners have no power to come to God outside of God at work because wicked sinners are enemies of God who hate God and they cannot reach out for Him. They are guilty. They are condemned. This is historical as well as biblical truth. The Bible teaches that God alone draws sinners to Himself through the preaching of the good news of Jesus Christ. That when the good news is preached, and God draws the dead to life, that soul will repent and that soul will believe. If we as a body, as a church, or as we as individual Christians, reduce salvation to only say this or believe this, we are teaching a false gospel and filling churches with lost souls who believe they are saved when they are actually lost. And I am sad to say, this is what we find so much in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. In Romans 8, verse 2, Paul no longer speaks of the law as a positive, but as a negative. Now, he did speak of it as a positive in many ways. In Romans 7, verse 7, you find this. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would have not known sin. In 7.16, he said, I agree with the law that it is good. It is good. And 7.22, for I delight in the law of God in my inner being. And this is why Romans 7 was about a saved man. The saved man is the only one who can delight in the law of God in his inner being. Now in Romans 8, we find the negative. Romans 8, verse 2, the law of sin and death. The law of God cannot be kept by us, and the law of God cannot save. Paul elaborates on this in Galatians. In Galatians 2, verse 16, we find these words. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Jesus Christ in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Galatians 3, verse 21 Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Did God give us something in which he did not really mean to give us? Or did God give us something in which it didn't accomplish its purposes? No. Paul says here, certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. So by works of the law, no one will be justified. What we find in Scripture What we find in the teaching of Jesus Christ, what we find in the apostles as well as the early church, are words concerning salvation that are different. Now, this is so important. What we find Jesus teaching in the apostles, in the early church, all the way up to today, is you find something that is different from every other world religion in every way. That salvation can actually be earned is what the majority preach. That your good just has to outweigh your bad. That you have to do this in order to get this, but you also have a level of fear. The level of, I hope I make it, I hope I'm good enough. You do not find that teaching with Christ. You do not. what you find is that there is biblical Christianity that is also historical and you find false religions. That's all you have. That's it. There is salvation through Christ alone and there is false salvation. That's it. By works of the law, no one will be justified. The only way a person is justified is if they were in Christ. God's law, it reveals sin It does not save sinners But it points mankind to the only Savior Christ The law doesn't point that we can earn our way in The law does not point to the fact if you do this, it will result always in this. The law points that we are helpless and desperate need of a salvation. And Scripture teaches that salvation is found only in Christ. So how did God accomplish this? How is it that sinners can be made in right standing with a holy God? That seems contradictory. Romans 8 verse 3. God's Son was sent in the likeness of sinful flesh. Notice the word likeness here. God's Son was different. God's Son was not a sinner. God's Son was not morally or spiritually evil. The Son of God came to this earth. The Son of God put on flesh, fully God and fully man, tempted as we are, yet without sin. That's why you have the word likeness, the likeness of sinful Flesh And the Son of God, He condemned sin in the flesh by dying on the cross. Because of the Son, Jesus Christ, who He is, what He has done, those in Him are no longer condemned by sin, for they have been set free from the law of sin and death. So Jesus, He came in the likeness of sinful flesh, He came sinless, and He came for sin. Why? Romans 8, verse 4. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Because if as individuals we have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, but the righteous requirement of the law is not fulfilled in us, we're not saved. He says in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be filled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So if we think we have earned our salvation and we are saying, guess what, I am walking according to the Spirit, you cannot be. If you think you earned salvation, you're still walking in the flesh. So without someone sinless, without that sinless someone making a payment, there is no fulfillment of the law. If we are all sinners who have fallen short, there is no human being who can lay down their life and fulfill what the law requires. In baptism class, uh, I walk through with little children and, and teaching certain things, and in walking with them and teaching them, I most always ask this question. Why do you need a relationship with Jesus versus a relationship with me? What's special about Jesus Versus nothing that's special about me. Very simple question. I think as adults we would do well to like ponder and think about this truth. That it's good to have a relationship with your father. It's good to have a relationship with your mother. Those are great relationships to have best friends. But you need a relationship with Christ because only Christ can pay for your sins. And if a person can't answer that, I instruct them as well as their parents, let's just wait. Let's not rush the waters of baptism when they don't even know why they're being baptized. This is why God sent His Son. To fall short is to fall short. So there is no substitution Among men to fill the gap. We have fallen short. That's why God had to come. This is why God sent His Son. Only God can remove our sin. No condemnation is only possible because God sent His Son. The Son is sinless. He came in the likeness of sinful flesh. God put on flesh. The sinless Son came for sin. He defeated sin on the cross. The Son of God, Jesus Christ, fulfilled the righteous requirement of the law. That's why if you were found in Him, the righteous requirement has been fulfilled in you. That Jesus on the cross, He was the substitute. He drank the cup of God's wrath fully, paying for the sins of those who believe. And those who believe are in him. Jesus Christ alone condemns sin in the flesh. This is why 8 1 is the greatest of news. There is nothing that we can add together, combine together to surpass us. There is now for there no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. God has done what man could not do and cannot do. God sent Himself to condemn sin in the flesh because man cannot condemn sin in the flesh. And those who are saved can now walk according to the Spirit and not according to the flesh. Look at Romans 8, verse 5. We see what this looks like lived out in the life of the believer now. For those who live according to the flesh, they set their minds on the thing of the flesh. So those who live according to the flesh have their mind set on the things of the flesh. This is to have your mind set continually on what is sinful. And you're like, well, are you actually saying to me that if you're not born again, you can do nothing good? Yes, I am. That's exactly what I'm saying. Because even in the good things that you think you do, you're not pleasing God because you don't have faith in Him. That way you cannot earn your salvation. Those who live according to the Spirit have their mind set on the Spirit. A mind set on the flesh always results in death. A mind set on the Spirit always re- results in life and peace. But a mind set on the flesh, that is hostile to God. That mind, it cannot submit to God's law It is unable to submit. It is unable to please God. So Paul's words inform us that only one way, there is one way that leads to death, and there is one way to be found, and that is to be found in Christ. So unbelievers have problems that far exceed the deeds that they do. So much in Christianity, we talk so much about what they do versus what they don't do. Unbelievers have major problems that far exceed the deeds that they do. The one who is not in Christ is hostile to God for their mind is against God. So your thinking is against God because most of the time you're elevating yourself. Unbelievers are haters of God who cannot submit to God's law. They cannot please Him in any way. So those who are not in Christ, they have hearts and minds against God, and they stand condemned already. It's not just a future condemnation. It's a present condemnation. You are condemned now. If you don't believe, you operate by the principle of sin. Now, five times in three verses, Paul uses the word mind. In three verses, he uses it five times. John Stott said the major secret of holy living lives in the mind. He says, What we think really does matter. That we need a mind controlled by the Spirit of God. That we are earthly, we are earthly minded or we are spiritually minded. We are set on earthly things or we are set on spiritual things. Let me give you a life example. And we're going to use his name as George. George may act like a Christian at times. He might help others. He might give gifts. He might go on mission trips. He might attend church every Sunday. But what George thinks and what George believes really does matter. That without faith, George cannot please God even if everyone around him thinks he pleases God. Then without faith, George is doing what a man considers to be possibly right, but he is doing it for all the wrong reasons. George is condemned. John Calvin said this. I know some of you have the t-shirt. The human heart is a perpetual idol factory. And even as Christians, if you think you don't struggle with that, you do. I do. We all do. That if you are not in Christ, you might do what the world calls good and moral things. But God knows your heart. God knows your mind. He knows the false God that you serve. He knows that you are self-seeking with your mind set on the flesh. For it can do nothing else. Romans 8, verse 9, it says, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Christ. So those who are in Christ are not in the flesh, for the Spirit of God dwells in them. If. Notice the key word. God gives us the word if means it's not just a public proclamation, I belong to Jesus. God is saying, I know your heart, I know your mind, I know what you do, I know what you think. If you belong to me, you are not condemned. Those who are in Christ are not in the flesh. For the Spirit of God dwells in them. The one not in Christ does not have the Spirit of Christ and does not belong to God. So all saved souls have the Spirit of God dwelling in them. Did you notice that? He's he's moving forward from Romans 7 to Romans 8. He's letting them know that there is not a second giving, a second blessing of the Spirit of God. All saved souls have the Spirit of God dwelling in them. You are either in Adam or you are in Christ. Those in Adam are in the flesh. They are condemned and dead. Those in Christ, they have the Spirit of God. They are not condemned and they have life because those in Christ stand justified. Now, for the believer, Romans 8, 10, 11 is more encouragement. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the Spirit who dwells in you. So, believer, Christ is in you. The body is dead because of sin, but the spirit that is in you is life. I love that. Because Paul has already declared that he struggles with sin. He says, the things I don't want to do, I do. And the things I don't want to do, I do. Wretched man that I am. That is still true in Romans chapter 8. He's saying that although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. And then he goes on to say this, the very truth that you're holding on to in the gospel, that Christ has been raised from the dead, guess what? You will also be raised from the dead. Yes, you struggle. Yes, there is sin in this world. Yes, you fall short. You're always falling short. It's the faith that God gives you that holds on to the righteousness of Christ that justifies you now and forevermore. At the end of Romans 7, Paul shared his own struggles. And when I say Paul shared his own struggles, he, he shared his own frustration with sin. He said, I do not understand my own actions. I do not do what I want. I do the very thing that I hate. I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. What I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. So Paul's daily frustration and battle with sin is immediately followed with the truth. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He says, I struggle with this, but there's no condemnation because of what Christ has done. I struggle with this. I do things I don't want to do. I say things I don't want to say. My mind is focused on things that I don't want to do. But because of Christ and what he has accomplished, because I am in Christ, there's no more condemnation. You see, our mind is set on the spiritual, not on the flesh. I used George as an example earlier. George was not a Christian, but Bill, his friend, is a Christian who struggles with sin. You can put your name there if you want. Bill, like the Apostle Paul, does what he hates, does not do the good he wants at times in his life. Bill, for 10 years, has struggled with pride and envy, that is, indwelling sin. Bill is a Christian who is in Christ. He is not condemned because he has been set free. Bill is justified and God is using his struggles to conform him more into the image of Christ. My dear friends, this is the picture of the believer. We struggle. We fall short. We don't rest upon what we do. We rest upon the work of Christ. The Spirit of God dwells in you if you're a Christian. You belong to the Lord and nothing, nothing, nothing can change that. Your current sins cannot change that and your future sins cannot change that. Believer, the Spirit of Christ who raised Him from the dead dwells in you. And it will raise your mortal body one day and you will spend forever with Christ. From start to finish, Christian, look at what God has done. You have His saving grace, you have His continual grace, and you have His future grace. He's done it all. So the words, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, you can't get any news better than this. It's the greatest of news. Nothing comes close at all. Even when we in our hearts cherish things more than that, nothing comes close to it. This is the security of the believer. This is perseverance of the saints. That those whom the Lord saves, they will remain saved. That we have been accepted by God not for a short window. We have been accepted by God for all of eternity. Listen to this chapter on perseverance and try to listen closely. Those God has accepted in the beloved, affectionately called and sanctified by His Spirit and given the precious faith of His elect can neither totally nor finally fall from a state of grace. We have popular trends right now in this world in which saying you can lose your salvation. No, you cannot. God does not seal a person and then unseal them. They will certainly persevere in grace to the end and be eternally saved because the gifts and the callings of God are irrevocable. Therefore, He still brings about and nourishes in them faith, repentance, love, joy, hope, and all the graces of the Spirit that leads to immortality. Even though many storms and floods arise and beat against them, yet these things will never be able to move the elect from the foundation and rock to which they are anchored by faith. So the felt sight of the light and love of God may be clouded and obscured from them for a time through their unbelief and temptations of Satan. Yet God is still the same they will certainly be kept by the power of God for salvation where they will enjoy their purchased possession for they are engraved on the palms of his hands and their names have been written in the book of life from all eternity so those whom the lord says will remain saved you are in christ and you're in christ forever If that doesn't stir your soul to be thankful and to worship the Lord and to dive into Romans 8, you should probably doubt your salvation. That there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You can't beat that. You're talking about something that God is had done the great exchange he has taken away all your sin and he's given you the greatest thing possible you get to live forever with him for all of eternity with no more pain or suffering or torment that Christ Jesus has paid the price you are in Christ and you will remain in Christ and the unfolding of Romans 8 is talking about how we are to live our life as Christians on this earth during this process of sanctification. Those whom the Lord saves, they are eternally saved. Therefore, our lives need to honor who Christ is and what he has done. I know that your life will honor Christ and you will please him, but it is also true that we are called to honor him and to please him. We are to know what He has said and we are to do what He has said. So if you are in Christ, you are not condemned. If you are not in Christ, you are condemned already. And you are commanded by the Lord to repent of your sins, to turn from your sins, to turn toward Christ and a call on Him. And maybe you're thinking, well, I know who I am, I know where I am, That's great. Are you thinking about those who don't? Are you thinking about those who are around you, whom you know are lost? Are you praying for them? If you are in Christ, you are not condemned. Live your life in the Spirit to please the Lord. Cherish His good commands. Delight in the law of God in your inner being. And come before the Lord and repent of your sins. Father, we thank you for this morning, how great and holy and majestic you are. You are worthy of all of our worship. You are worthy of all of our praise. You are, you are worthy, even in this life, to be our greatest treasure, and you should be. We would go and we would sell all that we have and to go and get this treasure that Above all, the greatest news in our mind and our heart should be: there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That we should be able to celebrate that and rejoice in that, and give you praise and glory for all that you have accomplished, because we could not accomplish it. Thank you for sending your Son. Thank you for your Son coming and living. A perfect, sinless life. Freely laying down his life on the cross for all who would believe. And three days later, him. Him rising from the dead. Proving to be God. Revealing himself to many. And then giving the great commission and ascending into heaven where he sits right now. And to know that He's interceding for us, even now as we pray, and that one day he is going to return, you're going to gather your children, we are all going to be raised just as your son was raised, and we will spend forever with you. For this truth is absolute. This is going to happen. We will all stand before you, and we will all be judged. Lord, help us by your Spirit. Help us by your Word that you have graciously given to us. May we cherish it and hold it dear and live lives that are pleasing to you in all of our spheres of life. Thank you for forgiveness that we can come before you and say, Lord, we have failed here. We have failed here. We have failed here. But we are not condemned because we are in Christ. Father, draw those that are lost to you. They cannot earn it. Just like us, we don't deserve salvation. You have done it all from start to finish. But Lord, help us as your children to please you in all things. Be gracious in revealing sin to us. Thank you for your graciousness already by not dumping it all on us in one hour. But Lord, may we truly treasure your word in Romans 8 and rest in it and meditate upon it and think about it this week, Lord. Forgive me where I have failed in the preaching of your word. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen.